Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he and Eliphaz the Temanite, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. Now take seven bowls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bileam the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortune and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life from more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kezer, and the third Kerenhapa. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and four years. Brilliant. Thanks, So for the last four weeks, we've entered into the world of this um, ancient man called Job. And Job's story is a story of suffering. It's not a happy text or book to preach on. Uh, It's a very sombre and sober story. uh, And it's very important in the Bible, but it's it's not a jolly theme. Um, As we read it, we are reading just one person's Story. It's, it's not the final word or final wisdom from God on all things to do with suffering. And in some ways, actually, it, it brings answers, but it also brings further questions. For example, I struggle with the, the, the epilogue ending that we've just heard, which sort of suggests that because Job got seven new sons and three new daughters who were probably even more beautiful than the previous ones that died, that, that God had restored him. As a parent, I'm not sure I would feel like that. But what's given to us is is really a kind of an an honest and beautiful portrayal of this man's journey through some difficult times. We can also read it and see it in a way as our story, our personal story. Partly because it's in God's book. It's there for us to read for our benefit. But also because all of us, in some small way or big way, either in the past or how we are today or at some point in the future will face some form 
of suffering and pain. In a sense, that's guaranteed through the frailty and the brokenness of our world. And so we find ourselves, at some point in our lives, no doubt echoing Job's big question, which was, why is this happening to me? And we have a sort of privileged insight through this story because we see it in different layers. In a sense, as we read it, we are given in the text reasons and explanations behind why this is happening to Job. And we see the whole span of the story, which must have covered several decades. Um, But in in Job's personal experience, that's, that's how we experience it as well. As we walk through suffering, we we feel the point where we are there and then. We don't necessarily feel how it will be in the future. We don't have that privilege of knowing how this is going to turn out or or what the resolution will be. So Job has been uh, dwelling in an unrelieved misery for months. He's had this disease of open sores on his body. During that time, he's had to bear the anguish and the grief of his uh, ten children who died. All of his wealth and his prosperity, his, his pension and his ability to provide for himself has, has been taken away from him. He's become repulsive to his wife, whose who's, uh, input into this discussion is, why don't you curse God and then you'll die? Uh, so that's not very encouraging. He's, he's rejected and scorned by the brother men in the community, and even the children of the town insult him. He sits on the ash pile on the edge of town, and the children, you know, for fun, come and poke jeers at him as he sits there. If you followed the story that we've gone through over the last four weeks, you'll know that he receives the bad theology of these three friends. Great friends in a way, because as soon as they heard of his difficulty, they were around to help him. But they spent 30 chapters telling him unhelpful and wrong theology about why we think you're in this difficult situation, Job. No wonder they're called miserable comforters. Then he has this other chap, Elihu, who, who gives uh, wise theology and actually kind of guides him and moves him into a better position. Elihu doesn't bring the solution to Job's situation because only God is going to do that. But Elihu... Um, brings some revelation that begins to point Job in the right direction. Job experiences, through this whole journey, a, a, a change of his heart. I was thinking this week about Psalm 34, and it says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And there is a, a knowledge about God that only comes through experience. There is a massive difference between reading a book on honey that will tell you in many different ways with diagrams and flowcharts that honey is sweet. Compare that with dipping your finger in a jar of honey and tasting it and experiencing it. That's the difference in the translation that's happened in Job in his experience of God. Job's experiences, as as devastating as they were, have actually given him a greater sense of the reality of God in his life. And it's no surprise that he says in verse 42, and we heard in that, uh, chapter 42, and we heard in the reading where he says this, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
Well, we're going to hold that verse in our thinking for a second. I'd like to chat to the people on your table. And this is a challenging one to chat about, so you you may not have something to say. But I want you to say to the person uh, next to you, what, what, what about this verse applies to you? Job is saying, previously I knew some stuff about you, but now I really know what that means. I, I used to know about the concept of trusting God in difficult times, but let me tell you, now I really know what that means. Have you got something in your life you can say that about God? I, something I used to have a sort of, you know, an intellectual knowledge about, but actually now I have this, I've been through something and it's really shown me something powerful in my life. So I'm going to give you just a minute and a half to do that. So you'll have to go quick. If it's just silence at your table, then that's, that's godly silence. That's absolutely okay. Um, and we'll move on from that awkward moment quite quickly. But let's, let's go and chat quick at our tables. Well done. And we'll carry on through our story. So Job has experienced this incredible time of suffering. And initially the story says that in a way that suffering was to to reveal the greatness of God. He didn't know that. That's what we the reader hear as we read his story. But the the ongoing um, result of Job going through this is that actually it's refining his righteousness. And unlike the miserable comforters whose suggestion was actually your suffering is because of your sin because good things happen to good people Job and bad things happen to bad people so bad things happening to you means you are bad that's why this is happening the reality is Job's suffering is not a punishment it's it's not a sign of God's anger it's not like the pain of the executioner's whip upon his back it's actually the pain of the surgeon's scalpel removing the thing that needs to be taken out of his life. It's, it's, for Job, I think, the taking away of some of his pride and some of his self-importance, that he sees himself as somebody great. It's, it's, it's the, the humbling of his character and, and his coming to a more honest understanding of who he is before God. It's, it's radical discipleship for him because he's gone well beyond popular religious ideas of maybe that to, to know God is to have more happiness or good things in your life. And he's actually sacrificing some of that in order to be more deeply acquainted with who God is. That's the reward that he receives through the challenges that he's going through. Like Jesus said, it's better to suffer the pain of gouging out your eye than to let sin remain in your heart. It's a hyperbole, it's an exaggeration, but that's about the radical approach that's taking place in Job as he comes closer to God through his situation. And we didn't read it, but the section that goes with this talk in chapter 38 and 39 is the section when, after all the other people have had their say, God enters the stage and begins to interrogate Job. He now directly asks Job some questions, all of which have the effect of silencing his complaints against God. I want to pick out a few of the highlights for you. You can go home and read it tonight before Downson's Abbey's 
on at nine o'clock. Um, verse, chapter 38, verse 4, he, he says to Job, who laid the foundations of the earth? Oh, Job doesn't know that. Um, okay, verse 8, Job, who shuts in the sea? From whose womb did the seas burst forth? At verse 12, he says this, have you ever commanded the morning to come forth? No, he's not done that. He says to Job in verse 16, have you ever measured the depth of the ocean and the height of the skies and the width and the span of the earth? No, he hasn't. Verse 19, he says, where is the light hidden and who speaks it into existence? Verse 20, some weather stuff. He says, where do we store the snow and the hail? Which room is it hidden in before God brings it forth? Who cuts channels in the heavens so that the rain falls upon the land? Uh, as Dan was leading us earlier at the beginning of the worship in verses 31, he says, look at the skies. Have you set them in place? Did you give them order and being? Verse 34, he says, um, do you know how to make it rain? Or do you know how to whistle so that lightning comes forth? Have you in your wisdom, Job, ever counted the clouds? Then he goes on, he starts talking to him about animals. Verse 39, Job, who provides for the ravens when their babies cry out for food? Or verse, uh, chapter 39, verse 1, do you know where the mountain goat goes to be, give birth? No, Job doesn't know, but God, God knows. Uh, this is my favourite, verse 5. Who let the wild donkey go free? What a great question. Who let the dogs out? Who let the wild donkey go free? Job, if you can answer any of these questions, we can have a conversation as equals. If you knew anything to do with these questions that I, God, set before you, then you could probably come and complain to me about your situation. But because you know nothing about any of this stuff, including who let the wild donkey go free, then actually you need to realise that you are merely part of this amazing creation that I have taken. Oh yeah, and I missed one. This is my other favourite as well. Um, verse 13. Who made the ostrich stupid? <laughs> Who taught her to be a bad mother? I love it. I'm waiting for the film to be made of this. It's going to be a great film. Maybe it's a musical. <laughs> through, through all of this, into chapter 42, Job kind of comes to uh, a resolution of his situation. Three things, I think. Firstly, in verse 2, he, he confesses that he, he sees that it's God who's the Almighty. Although he's been riling his complaints to God, he realises this is God. And, it, and it's not just God in my own making. This is the God who is sovereign. He is high, he is above me. This is the all-powerful one. In verse 3, he confesses that actually God's truth and wisdom makes Job's wisdom look like ignorance. He says this, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. 
And in verse 6, he confesses that um, uh, he is guilty of questioning the way of God. That actually, it, it, it wasn't ultimately acceptable for him to put God on trial because of what was happening in his own life. And Job is changed through this experience. And I think this is what can happen when we have those moments, however they come, when we, we glimpse God unveiled. Think about Isaiah, who walked into the temple, and he saw God, and he said, Woe is me, I am undone. Literally, he, uh, I am falling apart because I glimpsed the amazing God. Um, or um, Peter, Simon Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, when he um, sees Jesus revealed um, in his power, and he says, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. It's, a, it's, a, it's that revelation, the uncut revelation of God. Or the time when the centurion, the Roman soldier, came to see Jesus, and he, he, said, he said, Lord, um, don't even come into my house, because I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. It's that revelation of seeing God for who he is, who he actually is. And there's something about a deep conviction of sin that takes place in Job. And, and we already know he's presented to us as, as one of the righteous people of his generation, yet this righteous man is aware more honestly and deeply of what his sin is like. And, he, and, he, and he's able to confess this to God, to proclaim to God, actually, I, I have a more honest uh, understanding of who I am morally before you. And in the resolution of this story of Job, um, God does uh, several things to, to um, bring to an end the, the, the trauma that's taking place through Job's suffering. Uh, first, he brings the three miserable comforters um, and uh, tells them that they, get, they need to go to Job to receive their forgiveness. He says to the three friends, uh, you're going to, first of all, he says to them, by the way, everything you said is wrong. I was listening to everything you said to Job, and it was all wrong. And then he says to them, I can, I can restore you, but you're going to need to go to Job to receive your forgiveness. So the very person they sat down with and said, listen, Job, we're going to tell you as it is. You are not a good guy. You are, you've got secret sin. This is why it's happening. They now have to go to Job and humble themselves in order to be forgiven by God and to be restored with Job. They can't simply just go off and pray a prayer of forgiveness on their own. They need to bring their, their sacrifice of a contrite heart to Job. And it must, be a, it must have been a very um, humbling thing for them to have had to have done that. It would have been probably a very healing thing for that to happen. And then from Job's perspective, there was an equally difficult part of it. Because uh, Job has to extend his forgiveness and blessing to these people. And by the way, he's still in his suffering. His children are still dead. His wife is not impressed with him. His house has still fallen down. His animals and livelihood have all been taken away. He's still sick and, and covered in sores and all these things. And yet in, in that place of suffering, 
he has to pull out of the depths of his heart the capacity to love his enemies and to do good for them. He has to pray for them and, and bless them. No wonder Jesus says in the New Testament that um, if we forgive other people their faults against us, then God will pour out his forgiveness uh, onto our lives. And this is what Job has to do. He has to extend love and mercy and blessing upon the people that have spent 30 chapters criticising and pulling him down. Job's um, sins have pulled him down to the lowest place. And the, the book of Job kind of presents to us a man who now has uh, a greater understanding of who he is before God. I think it leaves unanswered as many questions as the things that it gives us answers and information about. We see that um, his suffering has been uh, sort of filtered out. His pride has been filtered out through his suffering. Uh, we see that um, he's, he's taken away perhaps some of those unhelpful popular theological themes that, you know, well, everybody knows that, you know, bad things happen to bad people. He's, he's had to press through that and almost get that stuff out of his head in order to get the wisdom of, of God in his head, that actually God is gracious and God is with you in your sufferings and in your difficulties. And he's had, to, he's had to humble himself, not just before God, but before those that came and criticised him. Well, I think we're going to um, respond. Now, let us to um, could the band come up? And I think we could respond with worship. And I, I just want to suggest to you that I think it's great to know more about this book in the Bible, but I think it also applies to our lives in all sorts of different ways. It, it may be you in your life right now are in the position to be like that helpful friend, like Elihu, who, who walked alongside Job in a time of great need and pointed him towards Jesus and uh, I think if that is you then we really want to sort of call out to God and say God bless you in that God give you wisdom in that to help you with that it, it may be you um, are going through something that's hard and difficult now and actually you need that, that help and you need to come to God with what that situation is and ask God to come and minister to your heart. It may be you can think, do you know what? That kind of stuff happened to me ages ago, but I can see how, how I feel about that is affecting my capacity to relate to God. Because if Job hadn't have gone through this experience um, and been restored, he would have, in a sense, just hated God. He would have been angry with God and kept God at a distance. And so the things that we walk through, if, we, if, we don't, if we're not able at the time to bring them to God, then actually they can mar and hinder our capacity to be open with God. And it's not that we need to go digging for those things, but actually if that stuff comes to mind, then maybe the time is now to, to respond to that. And I think also this book is a savouring book because it reminds us that we need to worship God regardless of how we feel. That actually worship is not something we do because we're happy. Worship is not about saying happy things to God. Worship is about coming to God whether times are good or times are hard. Worship is about coming to God and saying, actually this is not about me God, this is about you 
and how great you are. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to proclaim who you are because I want those truths to be true in my life. So I think the band are going to lead us. I'll just say a prayer for us all and then uh, we'll <coughs> close by singing. God, thank you for Job. Though he lived thousands of years ago, thank you that we can read his story and know more about you. And thank you that you are alive today. And we pray for each one of us, however we connect with this story, whatever we identify with, that your, your goodness would be on us and that you would come into our situation and you would help us to see our life and the world through your perspective. And we want to be those who draw nearer to you every day.